Luke 2, I'm going to be reading, 25 to 33. Um, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. (laughs) Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, thank you for your word. And thank you that you came. A light. And we pray that your light would shine this morning, especially as I speak, Lord. Give us hearts that are open to hear what you have to say. Amen. Amen. Well, it's lovely to see you all. Let me add my welcome to the service. If you don't know me, I'm Tim. I'm the vicar here. And uh, today we're considering this very short cameo that we find in Luke's gospel and it's just a little part that comes after uh, Jesus's birth and if you like you might say well we've skipped ahead in the Christmas story as Tim said Christians often spend their time pretending that Jesus hasn't come well we're sort of doing that together as we mark the start of Advent Uh, and I want to consider the uh, topic this morning of waiting not waiting for the bus Uh, not waiting for the preacher to finish, not waiting for your spouse at the end of the church, but waiting for God. What's it mean to wait on him? Um, As I said, we're marking the start of Advent, a time in the Christian calendar when Christians wait. For whatever reason, we've decided we're gonna wait for Jesus to come, even though he's already come, but it's actually more than that. It's not about waiting for God to come as he did the first time, but looking to his second coming. Who here likes waiting? Do you like waiting? I don't like waiting. I uh, uh, was flying back from, I had a lovely holiday this summer, went to Mallorca with some friends. I never go abroad, so it was great. It was meant to be a two hour flight back from Mallorca, this was in August, and it turned into a 12 hour ordeal. It was tough, you know? There we were on the plane, and we're just on the tarmac for two and a half hours, and you should have heard the crying and the trips to the loo, and they're asking the stewardess how long it's gonna be and for food, and that was just me, let alone the little babies that are there that are waiting. No one likes waiting, I certainly don't. And yet, somehow, in the Christian life, waiting's normal. Waiting for God, waiting for him to answer your prayer, waiting for his second coming. And we find a man in our passage today who is waiting. He's waiting for something very particular. Just look at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Who was he? He was righteous and devout, it says. He was waiting. And what Simeon shows us, and what I want us to consider, is that actually waiting can be a gift from God. Even though none of us might like it, who here likes waiting? But waiting can actually be a gift from God, a time that God uses for his glory ultimately, a time that God uses to shape us, to shape us to be the kind of people that he wants us to be, to make us more holy, to make us more hungry, 
I think God shaped Simeon in his time of waiting. And what I'd love us to do is to look at just the descriptions of him, what it was like for him to meet Jesus, who it said he was, and understand how God wants to use our waiting to shape us in the same way. So we're gonna consider three things now, short, briefly, about Simeon. Who was he? What was he like? Well, the first thing is this. Simeon was a person of holiness. Look again at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. And who was he? It says he was righteous and he was devout. So there's two things there, righteous and devout. Righteous means the way he lived his life, as in he abstained from sin. He wasn't sinning. He was obedient to the law, the way he lived his life. He did what the law commanded him to do in the way he conducted himself in his thought life, in his heart. He was righteous, but also he was devout, as in he was a devout Jew. He attended uh, the temple. He did the customs of the day. He did what the law required of him. He made the sacrifices that were required. He prayed the prayers that were required. He was holy. He did what the law commanded him to do. He was righteous and he was devout. I'd love to be described like that, wouldn't you? Tim, the vicar, what's he like? Well, he's righteous and he's devout. Those would be good things to be described as. So Simeon, firstly, was holy. But also, he's a person of the Spirit. Let's read from the second half of verse 25. It says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And we consider what that means. What does it mean to wait for the consolation of Israel? But look at this. And the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was on him. He's a person of the Spirit. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. This is a man of the Spirit. He's holy in the way he lives his life, but also he's a person of the Spirit. Just look at those three things, the dimensions of the Spirit's presence and activity of his life. Firstly, 25, it says the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit was on him. And this signifies, this tells us the anointing of the Spirit. As in, uh, in the Old Testament, the, the Spirit's anointing is described like the Spirit resting on people. So we think about Joshua, we think about David, the Saul, the judges. They're all described in this way, the Spirit being on them. Think about Jesus at his baptism. What happens to Jesus? He's brought up out of the water and the Holy Spirit spreads on him like a dove and it rests on on him and remains. The Lord had anointed Jesus and the Lord's anointing was on Simeon. He's a person of the Spirit. But also, God's speaking to Simeon. Look at verse 26 again. It says it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. So God's bringing revelation into his life. God is speaking to him. Now it doesn't say here, does it, how God spoke to him. Perhaps it was a dream. Perhaps it was a word from someone else. Perhaps the Lord spoke to him just in the quietness of his heart. Maybe he'd been at the temple one day. Maybe he was making the sacrifice required of him by the law. But at some point, the Lord had spoken to him. You're gonna see my Messiah, said the Spirit. And then look at verse 27. The Spirit's on him, the Spirit's speaking to him. And then it says, verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Again, that just means that God spoke to him somehow. So he's a person that's holy, but also he's a person of the Spirit. And then finally, let's look at this. He's a person of faith. Let's read from verse 27. You can see it on the screen. 
When the parents brought in the child Jesus for him to do what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Why do I say that he's a person of faith when we just read that? It's because the level of revelation that's going on. In walks a family with a very little boy who would have looked just like any other family with a little boy at the time. And yet when he sees that family with a little boy, he says, that is God's promised Messiah. What faith that is. He sees the little boy, takes him in his arms, and realizes this is the promised one that God has, for, not just for me, but for our people. What a person of faith this man is. He's a person of holiness, the way he's lived his life. He's a person of the Spirit, but also he's a person of great faith. And this person of holiness, this person of the Spirit, and this person of faith was waiting. And this moment that we see is the, the fulfillment of that waiting. But let's look what he's waiting for. Just look at verse 25 again. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the consolation of Israel refers to God's Messiah the promised one who had saved the people. But the word here is consolation. Let's just remind ourselves, to console someone is to alleviate grief, is to take away a sense of loss or of trouble. And so God's Messiah was to comfort the people. He was to draw close to them. Simeon is just part of one of the generations of the people of God who had promised that God's one would come and console his people. So you think about the prophet Isaiah, what does he say in Isaiah 40? What does he prophesy? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. So God's Messiah, the one that God had promised to come, the one that was now coming in the baby Jesus, was comforting the people, he was consoling the people. And this is what Simeon had been waiting for. He had been waiting for this Messiah. God had put that burden on his life. Doesn't tell us how long he'd been waiting for, but he had been waiting. So that's who Simeon is. What is he? He's a person of great holiness. He's righteous and devout the way he lives his life. What else is Simeon? He's a person of the Spirit, the way the Spirit moves in his life. By the way, you could do a whole little sermon, I reckon, just on the way the Spirit's activity in Simeon's life. It's amazing, the way the Spirit's on him, moving him, speaking to him. And finally, he's a person of faith. And let me tell you why I think it's worth exploring those things in detail. Um, firstly, I think it's because we need to dispel the idea that if I were a better Christian, I wouldn't be waiting for things in my life. If only I were a bit holier, I wouldn't be the kind of person that has to wait on God for him to answer my prayer, for me to see him move in some way. You know, if only my prayer, do you ever slip into this way? Well, if only my prayer life was a little bit better. You know, if only I hadn't said those things or if only the, the thoughts of my heart were a bit purer, well, then I'd see God move in a way. And we might be waiting for, when I talk about waiting, there might be all sorts of things that could be just in this room here. 
and I think it's worth naming some of them, even though they're pretty hard. Waiting for provision of some kind. It could be financial provision, but just a change in circumstances. Waiting for the new year. Some of us might be thinking, gosh, 2023 has been terrible. Can't wait with it to be done. Waiting for a new job. Just tired at what you're doing. Waiting for a spouse. Waiting for a prodigal to come home. Waiting for healing. Waiting. God, where are you? What's the answer to my prayer? When's that coming, Lord? What are you doing? Where are you? And what Simeon shows is that you can be a person of great faith, of great holiness, a person of the Spirit, but you can still be waiting. And so when we think about our church family, don't be tempted to look at other people and think, well, their lives probably got it all together and I'm on my own in what the thing I'm waiting for or the thing that, you know, my prayer not being answered. I'm just on my own in that. Everyone else, they kind of have it all together. All of us might find ourselves waiting for God at some point in our lives. And you might you find yourself in that point today. All Christians, if you like, have to wait. And I just want to say, if, if you find yourself in that position, you're not alone, but also share it with someone, share your burden. And let's be the kind of people that when we know that someone is especially waiting for God to answer a prayer, let's pray with people readily, always. If you're praying for someone privately, text someone to tell them, hey, I've been praying for you. If God speaks to you for someone, tell them about that. We all find ourselves waiting for God at different times. But there's another reason, I think, to look at the person of Simeon and the topic of waiting. And it tells us that God uses waiting for his glory. God actually transforms our waiting into something that shapes us. The truth is, if you want to grow in God, you want to grow in your faith, you want to grow in a person of holiness, actually God can use waiting. Um, let me address this. Let's look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And when we read about someone like Simeon, he's pretty holy, he's pretty good, you know, he's painted in this amazing light. And we say, well, Tim, God spoke to him about his particular period of waiting. And he said, you're not gonna die before you see the Lord's Messiah. So look, God's promised him that this thing's gonna happen. That doesn't sound like my life. I don't know when the answer to my prayer is coming. I don't know when the Lord's gonna move. But Simeon's been told, surely it's been easy for him. Surely, how can I relate to someone like Simeon? A, he sounds like a goody two-shoes. And B, God's spoken to him in such a clear way that doesn't feel like my life. Well, I think actually if we look at the way that Simeon expresses himself, we find that maybe it hasn't been uh, quite so easy for him at all. Look at verse 28 and verse 29. It says, Simeon took Jesus, the baby Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. And this moment of Mary and Joseph coming into the temple, this moment of Simeon taking Jesus into his arms, tells us, I think, I think this is quite a simple reading. If he's saying, Lord, you can dismiss me now in peace, it means that he hasn't necessarily been in peace before it. Lord, it's almost like he's saying, oh, I can die happy now. Oh, and now I can have peace. 
And we might look at Simeon and say, look at when we look at his life and look at, well, God's so promised to him, his waiting can't have been that difficult. He says here, Lord, you can now dismiss me in peace. So I wonder, even though he's had such a clear promise from the Lord, waiting for him has not been a peaceful thing. It's been a burden, it's been a weight. And in fact, the words that Simeon used suggests that it's almost like he's being released from slavery. The word he used for Lord here is despotes. That has a particular context of a relationship between a master and a slave. That's how it gets used. And then the word he uses for servant, as in you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Possibly the better translation of that is slave. You may now dismiss your slave in peace. And it's almost like this time of waiting for Simeon has been a kind of slavery. And if you think about what it is to be slaved, you know, you're chained up, you're bound, you're constrained. So waiting for Simeon has been hard, I think. I don't think it's a stretch to say that about this. Lord, now I can have peace. You, my master, you can set me free now. This waiting period you've given me, this promise, actually, Lord, you can release me from it. Thank you for what you've done. It's like he's saying that. Now, one commentator puts it like this. Simeon speaks as a slave who, through the night of long, weary years, has been standing on the watchtower of expectation and is at last set free by the rising of the sun. Simeon's been waiting for this consolation and it's finally come. And therefore, I say all that to say that when I talk about waiting for us, it can be an extremely difficult thing. It can be a hard thing. You might not be in that stage right now in your life, but when it comes, you might find yourself just like Simeon, oh, I've got this burden, Lord. Even if God, you feel like God's spoken to you and he's promised something to you, that promise can be a weight of expectation. That can be a burden. But this is what I want to really apply today to our lives. The gap between God's promise and its, its fulfillment, the gap between God's character and his mercy and his nature and his goodness and us seeing that displayed in our lives is a gift to us. Let me illustrate with this, this with a slide. This is a very professional illustration. I hope you can see it. I'm great at art. I hope you can tell. If you want to encourage me in that afterwards, I'd really like that. In this, Simeon, if you like, has been living in the gap between God's promise to him and its fulfillment in his life. But what I want to encourage you today is that the gap is the gift. The gap between God's promise and its fulfillment is a gift to us. Not just the answer to our prayer, not just the fulfillment of what we want to see the Lord do, but the gap between who God is and where I was seeing him move in our life is a gift to us. You know when I said that all of us might experience waiting in our lives, we might not find ourselves in a position where we feel like God has promised something to us in a specific way. God spoke to Simeon very specifically, you're gonna see the Messiah. And then what happens? God's word comes true and he sees the Messiah. But for all of us, we might experience a gap between the nature of God and us seeing that. God's good, isn't he? And God's powerful, isn't he? Well, let me encourage you today. If you're waiting for something, God is more than able to answer your prayer. Have hope today. 
Tim's going to talk about hope in a couple of weeks. God is able to move. He's able to console. He's able to redeem. He's able to deliver. He's powerful and he's good. But since that's true, we find ourselves waking because we're going, Lord, if you are like that, why don't I see it? Why don't I see your goodness, Lord? But that gap, that gap between who God is and us seeing him move is a gift to us. And let me tell you why. Firstly, it's because God uses the gap to shape us. God uses the gap to shape us and who we are. Firstly, to shape our hunger for him. When you find yourself waiting between what you want to see God do, you know, maybe a promise or who he is, and something that's yet to come, that can be a gift from God to actually stir your hunger and your reliance upon him. You know, we might think that um, the good times in our life, well, that's, that's what will really help me walk with the Lord. But when I think about my own life, I've found that rarely to be the case. It's actually not the good times that have really formed me. It's actually often the more difficult ones. Yeah, we just think about this church family. How might God have been shaping us more actually in a time of waiting for a new vicar than when you had the vicar? It's one to think about. How has God used a period of that gap, if you like, for this church to shape us, crucially more into the kind of people that he wants us to be? If you find yourself today going, Lord, I can see this gap, let that stir your hunger and see it as a gift from God, saying, Lord, I can, I can see what you want to do and I'm crying out to you for it. I think of a lady, um, I was at a church in Chiswick for three years, I left there uh, seven years ago, and I think of a lady who, uh, in this fairly kind of quite polite Anglican church in West, leafy West London, okay, she was just all out for God, just all out for him. And she was about uh, 65 at the time, and she, I think, I think was quite wealthy, I think had been quite successful, um, you know, quite Chiswick, this, you know, this sort of like affluent, you know, she's quite posh, let's be honest. And um, she was so on fire for God. She was on fire for him. You know, you're looking around in worship and you're like, where's Pam? Oh yeah, she's, she's on her, her knees again before the Lord. Or we're at a prayer meeting and it's like, where, where is she? Oh yeah, she's at the back, just hands raised. And the reason for hunger was actually... Um, the birth of her grandson had been incredibly tough for her family because her grandson had been born profoundly disabled. Profoundly disabled. And it was a, a tragedy. Um, just all these expectations of the family and the child and, and life was so, so difficult for her grandson and his kid and their family. But that actually was the thing that changed her relationship with God. You see, she can describe this. She was just going through this fairly normal relationship with the Lord. Then this situation happens and she suddenly finds herself crying out to God. For her, the gap really was the gift. The thing that caused her to be so hungry for God. God, I'm crying out for you to move. Heal this boy. And you think about your own life. Your own circumstances might not be as extreme as that, crying out for healing. But I want to encourage you, like that lady, to let the gap in your life, the gap of expectation, shape your hunger for God. Lord, I'm crying out to you. 
Lord, I'm seeking you. Let it shape your prayer life. Let it shape your worship life. You know, when I think about my own uh, prayer life, it's been a gift for me uh, to move to Bristol and to join a new church. It's been a gift to do something that's quite scary and requires a lot of reliance on God. You know, leaving Clapham where I've been, it's only as I've looked back that you realize that comfort, you know, familiarity, had sort of left me in a place of um, just where my rhythms and routines weren't particularly fresh and my prayer life wasn't that sharp and my, when it came to worship, just sort of the way my dependence on the Lord maybe day to day just wasn't quite there. I kind of knew the scene, I knew what was going on. It's been a gift for me to come and do something that is actually quite challenging. The gap's the gift. The gap's the gift. And when we think about Simeon, it's not just his hunger that's there, I think, but it's his holiness, isn't it? What is he? He's a person of great holiness. He's a person of the spirit. And he's a person of faith. And I think the Lord chose Simeon. The Lord knows our hearts. He chose Simeon because of those qualities about him. But also, I think it was Simeon's waiting that made him into that kind of person. I think it was Simeon's waiting that means he can pray with great faith. You know, what do the parents of Jesus do? They marvel at what is said about their own little boy. Now, you think about the parents of Jesus. They've had a fairly dramatic time, haven't they? We're going to go through the Christmas thing. What happens at Christmas? Angels showing up. God's here. Don't be afraid. And yet they're amazed at what is prophesied about their own son. It's amazing, isn't it? Another thing that you could say about Simeon, if you like, is that he's a prophet. But how has he got to that stage? How is he so holy? Why is his walk with the Lord so good? How can he hear the Lord speak so clearly? It's because he's been waiting. God has used the waiting to shape his servant. And God wants to do the same thing in your life and he wants to do it in mine. And therefore, when we find ourselves waiting for something, we can say by faith, even though, Lord, this is so tough, or Lord, this is so wearying, oh, Lord, I'm so tired, we can actually say by faith, thank you, Lord, for the gift of something that causes me to rely on you. Lord, even though in the natural it's so hard, supernaturally, I can say, Lord, thank you, because I'm, I'm really trusting you to see the breakthrough here. And waiting, of course, is, is meant to remind us of something else. Let me give you an illustration. Who here likes camping? Yeah, a couple of people. Yeah, Tim Brown loves camping. That's no surprise. Anything with, like, stuff, you know, you've got to set things up with camping, haven't you? You've got to have all the equipment. Tim Brown would love that. I think camping is basically designed to remind you how good living in a house is. Okay, I quite like camping, I've done it all my life, did it this summer, I really like it. But a few days into camping, like, good as me, having running water is quite nice, isn't it? Oh, I love having a bed. Isn't having a bed great? I'm being denied having a bed. Oh, that's just so good for telling me how good it is to get home. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's the same with the Christian life. This life that we lead is not our home. We haven't reached our destination yet. 
And any time we experience discomfort in our life, by faith, not only can we thank God and say, Lord, I'm just thanking you for the opportunity I have to be hungry for you. And not only am I thanking you for this chance to grow in holiness, but Lord, I'm thanking you because this is a reminder that this is not my final destination. I'm not home yet. Just like camping tells you how good it is to, you know, have a tap with hot water or something basic that we take as basic now. So it is when we find ourselves waiting for God, waiting for him, just like Simeon did. You see, Jesus' first coming is amazing to celebrate at Christmas, and it's amazing to celebrate in Advent. But ultimately, we look forward to Jesus' second coming, don't we? And I want to be a person of great faith, and I want to be a person of great holiness, and I want to be a person of the Spirit, because I want to be ready for when the Master comes back. You see, there's a moment that we're all gonna face when we see Jesus again. And I wanna be ready for him. Just like Simeon was ready, I wanna be ready. And I wanna encourage all of us to be ready as well. And to see the gaps in our lives and even the gap between now and Jesus' second coming as a gift from God. Why? Because God wants to use it for his glory. He wants to shape you into the kind of person he's calling you to be. He wants to remind you that this is not your home. He wants to redeem even your waiting. And this Christmas time, just as Simeon does, we're gonna get to reflect upon and gaze upon, if you like, Jesus Simeon, when he takes Jesus in his arms, says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And as we gaze and consider Jesus' first coming, let's gaze upon and consider his second and say, Lord, I'm waiting for the day when you come again and I give you all the waiting in my life now, and know that that waiting is nothing compared to the eternity that you have promised for us. Amen. Amen. Let me pray, and then Tim's going to lead our response. Lord, thank you that you came. After all those years of waiting, Simeon saw your Messiah. Jesus, thank you that you came to save us. You came as our, for the people of God, for Israel, for us, our great consolation. And Lord, I pray today for anyone here who needs your consolation. Even it's just I brought this up today, Lord, this topic of waiting, but that is just so hard. I pray today for your consolation. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're already moving in this service, but we just welcome you now even more to move among us. And Lord, help us give our waiting to you to help us see the gaps in our lives as a gift, to help us trust that the gift is actually, the gap is actually the gift, to help us trust you. Lord, we trust you.